Well, you know what makes me happy tonight? Canadian Andrew Wiggins is a NBA champion. Uh, the Golden State Warriors winning their fourth title in eight years, defeating the Boston Celtics tonight, 103-90 in game six to capture the NBA championship. Good for Andrew. But Canadians, if you ask them about how satisfied they were with life, which province do you think folks would be the happiest in? Well, it turns out there are more people in Newfoundland and Labrador who are highly satisfied with their lives than anywhere else in our country. British Columbians, it turns out, are the least likely to be so bullish, according to new data from StatsCan. Um, it showed that 61.7% of people in Newfoundland and Labrador consider themselves very satisfied with their lives, just 46.5% in BC felt the same way. Uh, the recent stats do rely on six factors such as quality of life, um, social connections, life satisfaction, sense of meaning and purpose, future outlook, loneliness, having someone to count on and belonging to the local community, all important parts of how we determine happiness. Well, joining me now with more on this is someone who knows a whole lot about this topic, John Helliwell is a professor emeritus in economics at the University of British Columbia. He's also editor and author of the World Happiness Report. Thanks for your time tonight. My pleasure. So, I mean, these uh, surveys, I, I'm sure, I mean, you're very familiar with them. What should we make of them? I mean, it's uh, they do present a snapshot, but how reliable are they? Well, it, 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 a very large group of scholars now has been studying these data for up to 40 years. And as the data get more numerous coming from more countries and larger surveys of more people, you can test them out a lot better. And they're gradually uh, living up to their reputation. Uh, these life evaluations, which is the key measures of being uh, the best single measure of the quality of a person's life. And in a way, you, you think that's appropriate because the measures coming from the individuals themselves, the scholars stand back and say, can I explain in reasonable terms these differences we get in different countries from different people in different circumstances? And we learn uh, lots of things. I mean, a lot of the, there's enough of the answers are exactly consistent with what experimental and other research has shown uh, to give us faith in these evaluations. Um, but you then start taking seriously some of the surprises when they turn up and say, well, what, what hadn't I thought about that's true? Or is this an anomaly? Or things that have changed. I did notice that, of course, in this latest survey from uh, from StatsCan, the latest numbers, that 51% of Canadians ranked their life satisfaction at 8, 9, or 10 on 10, which is high. And you know, 80% of us gave the least a six. So it strikes me that Canada is generally a pretty happy place. Well, of course, to judge that, you then have to go into the international data where you get the same kind of questions asked uh, right around the world. And uh, Canada was usually in the top 10 of 150 countries for the first uh, few years of the World Happiness Report. It's now at 15, which is the lowest position it's ever been, but that's in the top 10% for sure. And some of the Canadian survey data uh, show a, a stronger picture than the Gallup data do. And the Canadian survey data, of course, are coming much bigger surveys. Um, so if we have to choose, we'll, we choose those, but to be comparable, you have to look across countries. 
51% though, ranking eight, nine or 10 nationally is still, it seems to me not too bad for a considerable yes, coming, I mean, coming through a pandemic. The global average uh, is about five and a half on the 10 right. point scale. Um, and uh, the Canadian average is uh, between seven and eight. So yes, I mean, not too bad, you'd have to say. Not um, too bad. But uh, as they always say at the end of an exam period, there's room for improvement. There's room <laughs> for improvement everywhere because, you know, even in the happiest countries and the, the Nordic countries, which have been a focus of global attention on these things recently, because they all five Nordic countries are always in the top 10. People are now s- stopping going for magic big cities and saying, let's go and look what's going on in the magic countries to see if they're symbols of what's good life. So a lot of the the attention is turning more to those. And even within those countries, this is my point, that uh, even if things are going well, you can always say, well, what is especially good about what we're doing? And where are places where we could improve things? And the Finns, for example, top of the league on uh, for now several years, um, uh, they had the, hop, the highest uh, test scores in schools. Uh, and people were rushing to find out what they were doing to get these good test scores. The, the Finnish education authorities were among the first in the world to say, is this really what we're training our children for? Surely we should be preparing them to live happy and full lives. So they started taking the well-being aspect of education. more. Even though they were already top of the existing game, they said, surely this is not the way. We're spending too much time thinking about grades and not enough about balanced life and building people people who are going to be good for others and to others uh, throughout their lives. We saw in this most recent survey that Newfoundland and Labrador was home to the happiest bunch, uh, at least according to the overall stats. British Columbia, uh, at least to the least satisfied, maybe not unhappy, but least satisfied. What drives those sorts of numbers? I mean, these this, this was based on some very specific criteria about quality of life, um, social connections, especially. Uh, what do you see in those numbers? Why would Newfoundland and Labrador be a place where people are happy and perhaps BC where people are struggling a little bit? Well, we what we going back more than a, a dozen years uh, when these provincial patterns were showing up in pretty large samples of Statistics Canada data, we did an analysis said, what are the differences between the Atlantic provinces and British Columbia? In fact, there's a 2010 paper where that was the benchmark case we used. Uh, and then we did the same thing for Canada and the United States, because Canada at that time was significantly above the United States. And we found roughly the similar differences between the Canada-U.S. comparison and the Maritimes-British uh, Columbia comparison, uh, that on measures of direct human personal connection, the number of people who had people to count on, the uh, extent to which they trust their neighbors, uh, trust in, in the, even the local authorities, uh, were higher in Atlantic Canada uh, than they were in, in BC. Part of this, of course, there are two things going on here. One is BC is one of the most urbanized provinces compared to the Atlantic provinces. And so there's a city country split here too. People are happier in the rural areas because in the rural areas, you get precisely the same kind of aspects of life uh, that you get naturally in the small towns, right? When you see someone in the street who's a stranger and think, well, they're just a friend you haven't met yet, that 
is the kind of thing that happens automatically uh, in small towns and in rural areas, but not in the big cities. So that's what has to be changed, of course, is to make the cities places that are more like a small town, keeping the openness of the big city. Right? You'd like to have it all, the opportunities of everything being there, but the closeness you get when you really do know people. I'm speaking with John Hallowell. He's a professor emeritus in economics at the University of British Columbia and editor and author of the World Happiness Report. We're talking about some recent stats, can data on satisfaction, life satisfaction amongst Canadians, showing that uh, in general, we're relatively happy. 51% of us ranked 8, 9, or 10 on 10. 80% at least gave a passing grade of 6 or above. The highest scores in Newfoundland and Labrador, lowest in British Columbia. We're looking into why that might be. When we come back a bit more just about now, where we can go, what, what is the root of happiness when we look at these numbers and what can be improved? We'll be back with that. I'm speaking with John Helliwell. He's a professor emeritus in economics at the University of BC or British Columbia and an editor and author of the World Happiness Report. Uh, we're discussing some recent stats, can data that to, on life satisfaction in this country. Just the 10 provinces, not the territories, but showed that uh, Newfoundland and Labrador was home uh, to the happiest and at least most satisfied folks and all about 61.7% considered themselves very satisfied. BC, on the other end, 46.5% consider their lives very satisfying, so a bit under 50%. Uh, you mentioned it just before the, the break, John, that one of the big uh, challenges here, of course, is to try to take an increasingly urbanized place like BC and try to fi- allow it to find some of those comforts that people get living in a smaller environment. That whole notion of a stranger is just a friend to be made. Um, how do you do that? That seems like that seems like a tough call, especially with so many people arriving from all across the country, all around the world into these places. Well, I'm, I'm talking tomorrow in, in, in Waterloo on happiness, and there are really four things I'm going to be telling them about. One is the importance of the social connections. We've already talked about that. The other is creating positives is more important than curing negatives. So you have to think of things to do. And the third is that people are a lot kinder than you think they are. So you make an unfair assumption about people typically, lots of evidence of that. And the fourth one is that life is local. And that's where I come to answer your specific question. Uh, you, you, you can make a difference by starting tomorrow. And so big cities, you can't start tomorrow and change the city. It's like a country in a way. So you say, what do you mean by life is local? Well, life is who you see on the streets where you are. It's the people in your local stores. It's your neighbors. It's your family. It's your workmates. So you say, given what I now know, you couldn't after do some background research, you can say, I know what makes these people tick. I know if I come in with a smile and I'm helping them, uh, that they're going to go on and pass this on to other people. I return their wallet. This is one of the examples we have, of course. In the rural areas and in the Nordic countries, actual wallets dropped are more likely to be returned. And we know that people who think their wallet will be returned are way happier than people who don't across countries, across neighborhoods, and and over time. So we have to build the kind of positive social connections with people you do relate to a lot. And you can do it because life is so local that if, if you actually create these kind of links in your family, with your friends, with your workmates, your neighbors, and start doing it when you're driving and when you're in elevators, 
you could imagine how the waves go. You see, it takes a little nerve each time to step, <clears throat> excuse me, step out of your comfort zone and say, okay, this is a bit risky. I may be insulting this person or they may think I'm a fool. The point is it's that almost surely is generally worth it. So one of the challenges I often give to people is say, well, how do I start tomorrow? I said, next time you're in an elevator, don't just sit there, pull out your phone or or look at the elevator test certificate, uh, you start a conversation in the elevator. And then I often ask them to let me know when you've done this experiment a few times, how did it work out? Almost always when people report back, they say, I had some really interesting conversations. And not only that, I feel differently about being in public spaces with other people now than I did before. And as I'll tell them tomorrow, too, I learned all that after many years of research, but I really learned it from watching my wife, who creates these happy social bubbles wherever she goes. And the key is to open up and really be interested in the other person. It's not talking at them. It's finding out about them. It's making that human connection. And since it can only be done locally and personally, uh, then, of course, it can happen locally. And since life is mainly local, you can get a real boost just from what you've done in your own life. Well, once you realize it works, then you'll, you'll tell the HR department at your company about that, et cetera, et cetera. It always reminds me of a story of a colleague of mine in Ottawa who's from uh, from the east, from from Nova Scotia. When she first arrived in Ottawa, she, every morning she'd get on the bus, and of course she'd say hello to everybody, the whole bus, and just uh, she'd come to work and sort of describe the reaction she would get because people were so kind of, you know, she got a lot of strange reactions. But uh, she continued to do it, I believe, or maybe not for always. But she is definitely the kind of person that you just described. Um, we're emerging and we from need more of them. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And bless them because they're brave. You know, it's a, it takes courage to do that. I bless them. And, and if they're smart, the people who are watching her do the shtick on the bus, mm-hmm. they'll look around the bus and say, and has she actually improved life on the bus? And you have to say, yeah. I mean, there's the odd person who thinks it's strange, but most of them just feel happy it happened. Thanks. Coming um, as we sort of once again uh, begin to emerge from a two-year cocoon, two-and-a-half-year cocoon, would you say this provides us with an opportunity? I've noticed, of course, that people are having a little bit of trouble socializing or doing what you've described uh, just because we've been kind of cut off from each other for a little while. I imagine this is either both a challenge and an opportunity for all of us to try to refine our, uh, our, our niceties, so to speak. It's both of those because uh, people are understandably having having not used their social skills. They wonder where they parked them and uh, have to brush them off to get back at them. And they're nervous about getting on their next plane or they're talking to the next public group. Uh, so that's the part I've seen lots of it. people talked about it is that we're just nervous about the fact that we're going to be seeing each other, even though we were disturbed about not seeing them. And then you say, no, this is really an opportunity because you can come back as the new you. And the new you can be the the you that said, gosh, you know, I wasn't in Machu Picchu for two years, but I was walking in my neighborhood streets talking to my neighbors. And I like that. I like those neighbors and I'm going to keep doing that. Well, now they know that they've learned that in the two years, they can say it worked on my local street. I'll bet it'll work in my workplace. And I may or may not be like your friend who greets everybody on the bus when she gets on. Uh, But it's that same spirit. And that's there. One more thing that's worth mentioning about what we have learned 
everybody has had a very different work experience than they had before. I can't think of anybody whose job was not fundamentally affected uh, by everything that's happened in the past two years. A whole lot of people are rethinking of the, where they work, how they work, their jobs. And so it's reconstructing the nature of good jobs, the nature of the, the physical workplace. And indeed, you know, the, the innovation, the, the, the Zoom screen that you and I are talking about now is, is streets better than the telephone that used to be used for these things. And you're going to find, because it's in the middle ground, we all know that the face-to-face meetings really are the best, but you can do a lot better now than we thought you could do without actually traveling uh, the length of the country or the breadth of the world in order to do that. Thank you so much for your time tonight, John Halliwell. I appreciate it. My pleasure.